Um, I'm so excited to be speaking to you this morning, and I want to welcome any guests who are visiting with us for the very first time. I also want to welcome, there's a lot of kids in here today. We've invited the children, elementary school classrooms, to come and, and see me preach today. And it's because I feel like you guys are going to get a lot out of this sermon today. That's why you're here. I also want to welcome those who are listening to us through our website and through our iTunes podcast. You're more than welcome to come and visit with us here in Flossmore, Illinois, if you're in the neighborhood. So this is a video from about seven years ago. Um, my son Ian had just been born, and my neighbor Bonnie brought over some caterpillars that were attached to her basil plants um, for my son Cam to have. And uh, needless to say, he was riveted by them. Um, he could not get enough of him. In fact, he's still an avid animal and insect lover to this day. But uh, one of the reasons why I think he loved caterpillars so much was because we used to read this book, and there it is right there, called The Very Hungry Caterpillar by Eric Carle. Um, in this popular children's classic, a caterpillar emerges from an egg by the light of the moon, and he begins to eat his way through various fruits for every day of the week. On Monday, he eats through one apple. Some of you guys know this book. On Tuesday, he eats through two pears. On Wednesday, he eats through three plums. On Thursday, he eats through four strawberries. And on Friday, he eats through five oranges. Uh, then Saturday comes. And this obviously still hungry caterpillar, he, he goes a little nuts. He uh, begins to eat his way through uh, one piece of chocolate cake, one ice cream cone, one pickle, one slice of Swiss cheese, one slice of salami, one sausage, one slice of cherry pie, one cupcake, and one slice of watermelon. You know, which I always thought was weird because watermelon's healthy. Like, why, why include that in the bad stuff? <laughs> um, after all that, he has a stomach ache. But on Sunday, Sunday comes and he eats through a nice green leaf, and he feels much better. You know, that's, that's what happens on Sundays, right? We go to church and we feel much better. Um, uh, and he, you know, gets very big. He forms himself into a cocoon, and then two weeks later he emerges as a beautiful butterfly. And that's how the, the book ends. And now I read this book to my 17-month-old daughter. That's her favorite part of the book. She loves to see the transformation from caterpillar to butterfly. And growth was on my mind when I was thinking about today, and so caterpillars were on my mind, because caterpillars are all about metamorphosis. And they're a great analogy for the kind of growth that God has in mind for us for becoming who we were made to be, what God had in mind for us when he made us. You know, I think about my own life, and I see how much has changed since I became a believer in Jesus at a really young age. My mom took us to a revival, and I was about six years old. I was in first grade when I accepted Jesus into my heart. And just to see in, in no way, shape, or form did I think that I was going to be a part of a church planting team, helping plant this church nine years ago. I had no intention of becoming a children's pastor or working in ministry. And so it's, it's humbling just to see my own transformation. And I imagine in a room this size that people are in different parts of their journey with Jesus. You know, some people have just begun following him. 
other people have been following him for a very long time, and you've seen the turn that your life took when you stopped being the Lord of your own life and you gave Jesus the keys. Amen? Oops. Um, right now, we are not in the midst of a sermon series. Usually we are. Um, uh, the last few Sundays, we've been doing what we call solo missions on Sunday morning, and it's amazing how our pastoral staff has been working concurrently on separate sermons, and we're all kind of doing the same theme. God must be up to something. Amen? Uh, Two weeks ago, our student ministry coordinator, Ramon, he gave a fantastic message about the general and specific callings that God has on our lives as believers. And last week, David Jacob touched on the fact that we need to tap into God's spirit and really live it out. And he had this great sermon called Something's Gotta Change. And so somehow I've piggybacked off both of them, and I'm going to follow the same thread, and I'm going to answer God's calling on our life, but also our, our, what we need to do to continue to grow and change. And so I've entitled today's sermon, A Calling to Change in God's Way. A calling to Change in God's Way. If you brought your Bibles with you today, we're going to be reading from 2 Peter chapter 1. You can also follow along on the screens in front of you. We'll have the scriptures up here. Um, You can follow along on your phone or tablet. That's perfectly acceptable. And we also have analog paper Bibles on the edges of each row in the New Living Translation if you choose to do that. We're going to start with Peter's greeting in verse 1. But before we do that, let me invite the Holy Spirit and let's pray. Come, Holy Spirit. Father in heaven, I thank you for showing us who you are and what you want us to do through your holy word. Father, I ask that you speak to each person and open our hearts to receive whatever you have for us. I know you don't want us to leave here the same way we came in. And so I ask that you would just change the way we think about you and our life with you. Will you pour your spirit on me to preach and teach with your authority and power? And will you do all these things in Jesus' name? Amen. So just to set up this passage, it was written by Peter, who was part of Jesus' inner circle, and he's one of the 12 disciples. You know, for for our elementary classrooms, this is Peter who walked on water, and he cut a guy's ear off. Do you guys remember that? He cut a guy's ear off when they tried to arrest Jesus. And he denied Jesus three times. That Peter. Uh, Jesus said he was going to be a key leader among the disciples to guide the church through the early years. And scholars say that he wrote this letter from Rome, and it's to the church communities in Asia Minor. The church was being persecuted by locals, so in 1 Peter he wrote to encourage them in the midst of their persecution. And three years later, he writes this letter, 2 Peter, and it seems like he knows he's going to be killed soon. So this is his last known writings that we know of. He was murdered by the Roman ruler Nero. Um, And 2 Peter's purpose is to serve as a memorial to his teachings because he's not going to be around much longer. And so Peter's goal in this letter is to debunk false teaching that's been going on and to restore authority to the local churches again. But before he gets to that, he starts in this first chapter with a final challenge to followers of Jesus 
to never stop growing. So that's where we're going to pick up in verse 1. This letter is from Simon Peter, a slave and apostle of Jesus Christ. I am writing to you who share the same precious faith we have. This faith was given to you because of the justice and fairness of Jesus Christ, our God and Savior. May God give you more and more grace and peace as you grow in your knowledge of God and Jesus, our Lord. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who has called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of this glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. In view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence and moral excellence with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with patient endurance and patient endurance with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love for everyone. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their old sins. So, dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove that you really are among those God has called and chosen. Do these things, and you will never fall away. Then God will give you a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So this is a very rich passage. It's one of those passages like I was waiting for a time when we didn't have a series going on so that I could preach it. And it highlights some wonderful assurances that God makes to us as well as some practical advice on how to live it out. And the first thing of three things that I want to highlight is what Peter says in verse 3. That we have everything we need for a life of godliness. All because we know and believe in Jesus. Verse 3 says, By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. That's a great truth to let sink in for a moment. Everything we need for living a godly life, he's given to us. The power to change, it doesn't come from anything we can do. Our force of will, what other people tell us, or peer pressure, we just don't have what it takes to be truly godly on our own. The power to change is not something that we can pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps to accomplish. It appears to be a gift received by the Holy Spirit through the person of Jesus. We join with his divine nature and he empowers us with his goodness to keep us from missing the mark. Jesus says in John 3, 6 that the Holy Spirit is the one who gives birth to spiritual life. He says in John 14, and we touched on this last week, that if we love and obey him and his commands, that God the Father will love us and make a home with us. 
In verse 2 of our passage, Peter asks God to give them more and more grace and peace as they grow in the knowledge of God and Jesus as Lord. You know, I didn't find this out until a few years ago, probably watching some show with Cam, because he's always watching nature shows. But most species of caterpillars have everything they need to become butterflies from the time that they leave the egg. Uh, Inside of caterpillars are these translucent structures that resemble legs and wings. They're called imaginal discs. And they exist just under the skin. If you dissect the caterpillar, you can find these things, and after they've passed through their final instar, their final transformation, they form a chrysalis, and these amazing creatures will dissolve their insides into a soup and reform their bodies, pushing these structures outward, and eventually they emerge as winged insects. It's pretty cool. Already inside, they have the promise of what they're going to become later on. These beautiful flying creatures. And like caterpillars, as believers, we too have promises. Promises from God that keep us going, that show us the end game. In verse 4, Peter says, because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. Precious promises. What are these promises that Peter is talking about? Now, he doesn't specifically mention them in this passage, but there are many promises that God has given each of us that we can take to the bank, and they're found all over the scriptures. You know, promises from the Lord that he's always with us. Amen? Amen. That he won't abandon us. That we have a home in heaven. That nothing can separate us from his love. That even the smallest amount of faith can move mountains. You know, these are the things that encourage us to be steadfast and persevere even through times of trials and struggles. That's something that Jesus also promised that we'd go through at least on this side of heaven. And some of you need to hear this today. I need to hear it. The difference between God's promises and everyone else's is that it's impossible for him to lie. People change their minds. Uh, People procrastinate. People make excuses. Um, People are often dishonest. But God doesn't do any of that. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. In the Gospels, Jesus said, I tell you the truth a lot, like over 70 times. If God says he is your hiding place, if God says he comforts you even in the darkest valley... If God says that he is forever faithful, that's a guarantee. Amen? That's a bigger guarantee than the the men's warehouse guy. (laughs) You can can believe God. The most important, at least human-based, promise that I can think of is the ones that my wife and I made to each other when we got married in 2004. This is my lovely wife. 
they're pretty much your standard wedding vows, um, for the most part, to honor and keep each other in sickness and in health, to cling only to each other as long as we live. But those promises, they mean something. And when emotions flare and misunderstandings take place, you know, those are the things that help you remember that you're in covenant. Vows you made to God and to each other. And if I can trust that Nikki will hold up to her end of the bargain, how much more can I depend on the faithfulness of God on his end to do exactly what he's going to do? Amen? And I love that these promises, they not only enable godly obedience, but they also keep us from the world's corruption. And when I think of that corruption, I think of the chocolate cake, right? And the ice cream, and the, the cheese, and the, the pickles, and salami. All that stuff that caused problems for the very hungry caterpillar on that Saturday. But how many of us have had some rough Saturday nights? You know, bad decisions that we made because we were absent-minded. And we forgot what promises God had made to us. You know, we all make mistakes sometimes. And it's often being reminded of what God has done and what God is going to do that brings us back from the brink before it's too late. Amen? Right now in our elementary school classrooms, we're in the midst of a teaching series and we're reviewing the miracles of Jesus and his ministry and we're kind of leading this up to Easter. And one of the concepts that I really try to stress for our older kids, the three to five, uh, third grade to fifth grade, is that Jesus came for basically three reasons. Um, number one is to manifest God to the world, to show us God's true character by becoming human and living among us. The second reason was to die on the cross for our sins and be raised to life again. And the third reason was to show us how to live here on the earth as his followers and representatives. We just do what Jesus did. And Paul says, the Apostle Paul says that we're ambassadors for him. That we're to imitate God in everything that we do. And Jesus said that the leading edge of who we are is love. And God is love. So the fact that God's spirit and his promises give us everything we need to live a godly life. Man, that takes the pressure off of merely acting right? Um, of merely acting, and instead we just step into God, what God has already had, has for us, his Holy Spirit. We just tap into that. The second thing that jumped out to me in this passage are the seven different supplements to our faith that Peter mentions. In verse 5 he says, in view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. How do we do that? Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence and moral excellence with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with patient endurance and patient endurance with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love for everyone. Now seeing all these things, these actions of faith, they make me think back to the very hungry caterpillar and all the fruits that he was eating, Monday through Friday, pretty much the opposite of what he eats on Saturday. If we're to change in a healthy way into what God intends for us, 
it appears we need to put these actions into practice. God's own life and love seem to require a lifelong response and commitment to these seven things. At least in this passage. Goodness, knowledge, self-control, godliness, patient endurance, brotherly, and we can assume sisterly love, and most important, love for everyone, a devotion to the well-being of others. We have this saying around here, love God, love people, live it out. It's in the Bible. These things sound a lot like the fruits of the Spirit, actually, that the Apostle Paul talks about in his letter to the Galatians. And they seem to be natural outgrowths of engaging with the gift of the Holy Spirit that Jesus promised us before doing his mission on the cross. I love that first sentence. Supplement your faith. Supplement your faith. I don't currently take any supplements. I probably should. Uh, Last month, I became interested in them. And I reached out to a few folks in our church to see what they took. And I got the most detailed response from Mark Roberson. Is Mark in here today? He's in, he's in the back. Um, Mark is kind of our resident fitness uh, athlete um, health guru, I would say. Um, and this is, what, this is what Mark said. I take tribulus for natural testosterone boosting, branched-chain amino acids build protein, and aid in recovery and fat loss. Creatine HCL hydrochloride for muscle contraction to draw water into my muscles. I also take amino energy, a fat burner with green tea that helps with mental focus as well. Huperzine A for mental focus and clarity. And lastly, Bioparin, a black pepper extract for better absorption of nutrients. You know, honestly, I don't know what half that means. (laughs) Kind of lost me at branch-chain amino acids. If you've seen Mark around the church, you might have noticed that he's always carrying around a backpack. And I've kind of secretly wondered, like, man, what's in that backpack? (laughs) Now I think I know. (laughs) Pills and powders. You know, in all seriousness, Mark has these goals in mind. He has these precious promises in mind to gain muscle, to get bigger, to get stronger, to lose fat. And he knows that by supplementing his diet with exercise and with these products, it's going to help him achieve all that. So in the same way, Peter is asking these communities of churches to fill their backpacks with character traits and spiritual disciplines befitting of someone whose life has been transformed by Jesus. Just believing certain facts about who Jesus is isn't true faith. Instead, it's doing good in the world because of who Jesus is and because of what he has done. Faith produces results. And this is a theme throughout the scriptures. And James puts it like this. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, goodbye, have a good day, stay warm, and eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, by faith by itself isn't enough. 
Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. You know, even still, you know, if we're supplementing our faith with these good actions, if you're doing it out of a place of performance rather than by grace, that can be a problem, right? You know, that's where the false teachers that Peter talks about later in this letter have it right. That our good deeds in and of themselves do nothing to save us. And that it's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, that redeems us. The problem, though, that you're going to encounter is stagnancy. Um, Have you ever seen a stagnant pool of water? Things can get pretty gross and polluted because there's not a steady flow of water taking place. And like David Jacob said last week, we are saved not only to live in heaven someday, but we're here to be salt and light here on the earth while we're living, resembling Christ here on the earth by serving others. And you just can't do that by standing still. We can't be stagnant. In verse 8, Peter says, The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted or blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their old sins. You know, God wants us to see an accurate picture of ourselves. He wants us to see our true selves in his character operating in the power of the Holy Spirit. But he also demands some effort on our part. It's both and. In verse 10, Peter says, So dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove that you really are among those God has called and chosen. Do these things and you will never fall away. So work hard. Do. This is a common theme throughout this passage by Peter. And it's all over the Apostle Paul's writings that it really does take some elbow grease to really walk this thing out. Here he says that we're to make every effort to respond to God's promises. And he says, work hard to prove that we're really among those God has called and chosen. In Luke 13, Jesus tells us to work hard to enter the narrow door to God's kingdom. The Apostle Paul says we're to make every effort to keep ourselves united with the Holy Spirit. He says in Philippians, this is one of my mom's favorite verses. Whenever you ask my mom how she's doing, she says, pressing on. He says in Philippians, we're to press on to reach the end of the race. And Timothy is told by Paul to fight. Fight the good fight for the true faith. The author of Hebrews says, if we want to live in peace, that we need to work at it. If you think about it, Jesus really is the working man's savior. Um, He's described as a carpenter by trade, and he uses all these blue-collar analogies to explain kingdom concepts. He says that listening and following his teachings is like a person building a house who digs deep and lays the foundation on solid rock. When the floodwaters rise and break against that house, it stands firm because it's well-built. In Matthew 6, he describes the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who goes out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. And he goes on to explain a wage structure and working hours and staffing. It's come to my attention that God could really do all of this on his own 
if he really wanted to. You know, it's, it's within his power to do it. But if he really wanted to do it by himself, he wouldn't have created us. You know, he gets no glory in just doing it by himself. God loves to empower us to work alongside him. And he loves our effort. And he likes to take that and increase it. He loves when we bring him five loaves and fishes and he multiplies it. He works through obedient hands to get his stuff done in the world. And as we know, God, our creator, has been hard at work since the beginning of creation. And so if we want to be like God, if we want to imitate God in everything we do, we've got to be hard workers too. In John 5, the religious leaders, they begin harassing Jesus for breaking the Sabbath rules. And Jesus just replies, Hey guys, my father is always working and so am I. And like Jesus, the awesome part is we can tap into the power source that is the Holy Spirit that fuels righteous living. I just started a job, a new job, almost a year ago, a year ago, April 30th. And before that, in my my career, I've always worked an hourly on an hourly pay scale. And so I started working salary for the first time. And it's a culture shock for me. I'm used to working eight hours a day, five days a week. And I always get a strange look when I see my coworkers kind of strolling into work late, later and then leaving work early. It bothers me. Um, uh, in fact, my, my boss will sometimes say to me on a Thursday, hey, Jordan, are you going to be here tomorrow? As if Fridays are now optional. <laughs> um, the truth is I'd love to take a day off. I really would. I, in some ways, I feel like I've deserved it. But I feel like I need to be there just in case an emergency happens or just in case there's like a technical question that nobody else can answer but me. And I just like to get ahead on my work. Like, I, I can't see wasting a day just because nobody's watching. And the truth is, as Jesus followers, we don't get a day off from being kingdom-minded, unfortunately. Even on vacation, we're representing, or I like to say representing Jesus through the way we live and devote our time. And guys, Fridays aren't optional. God is calling us to be fully devoted followers of him every day. And so we should make every effort and work hard to follow him, even if no one is holding us accountable but God. Your boss may not notice if you're there or not, but God does. Our Father in heaven sees everything. I like to tell my kids, because I'm a photographer, I like to tell my kids that God's lens is always focused on you. So God has given us everything we need to live a godly life. He's provided us supplements for living. And finally, the last thing that jumps out to me in this passage is the grand entrance that is promised by by Peter if we change in God's way. He says, do these things and you will never fall away. Then God will give you a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord Savior, Jesus Christ. Man, that's the ultimate promise, isn't it? 
that after all this is over, we have a home in heaven. In 2 Corinthians it says, For we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is, when we die and leave this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us, not by God himself and not by human hands. We also know from 1 Corinthians that on the day of judgment, our salvation is secure because of our faith that we've placed in Jesus. Because, but our reward in heaven will be based on our faithfulness to Jesus' instructions. So not only do we have the promise of heaven to look forward to, but Jesus will also put out the welcome wagon for us, for those of us who've taken his teachings very seriously. We will one day get our butterfly moment when our bodies give out and all that hard work on God's part and our part will finally pay off. Um, Recently at work, as a motivator, I've been trying to win this. It's kind of weird looking, isn't it? It's a loofah sponge. Yeah, did you guys know that loofah sponge actually—they actually come from the ground. They're—they're—they're plants. Yeah. Um, Long story short, uh, I work in television, and I'm a content creator for a digital first brand. My small group knows all about this. I've been talking about loofahs for the past month. Um, uh, I—I create content for a digital first brand, and they reward people whose videos get a million or more views with a loofah sponge. And it's because the first video that they produced was about loofahs, and it went crazy viral, basically. And so I worked for a a station ownership group, uh, and these people keep on getting loofah sponges within the group. And I'm like, I want a sponge. Like, I really want a sponge. Um, And so I've been kind of like changing the way I shoot video and edit video and produce video so that it really works with engagement for people, so people like watch the video and stick with it. And so I've, I've been, this has been my motivating factor. I really want this thing. And about two weeks ago, I finally did it. <laughs> and so I'm still, I'm still waiting for the sponge to come in the mail, but I, I've been awarded the sponge. It, it's weird, I'm sorry. It was an amazing feeling to achieve that goal. And I got lots of pats on the back for it. Um, And if I feel great getting that, I can't imagine what heaven will be like. You know, many times I miss the mark. I really do. I struggle. I'm not the husband and father that I want to be. I spend way too much time on my phone. But I hope that God the Father will some, someday say to me, well done, my good and faithful servant. I hope I can prove to Jesus just how much his sacrifice really means by striving to obey his instructions. And instead of innovating in video, I want to innovate in love and generosity and friendship, being a good husband, being a good father. So what are the takeaways from all this? What's the big picture? You know, how can we grow and develop into the people that God is calling us to be and shield ourselves from an atrophied faith, a weak faith, a limp faith, 
from a faith that feels like unnatural acting, where we're just putting on appearances, rather than authentically pursuing God with a desire to grow. You know, if I can leave you with just one piece of advice that would encourage you to change in God's way, it's just to remember his promises. It appears as though if we can surround ourselves with reminders of what God has done and what God is doing and what he's going to do, that will motivate us to go deeper and deeper into the future God wants for us. We just need to remember his promises. If these precious promises are what enable us to share in God's heavenly nature and they protect us from screwing up, we need to be intentionally reminding ourselves about them. In Genesis 9, God gives a sign of his promise to Noah and his sons that we still see in the sky today, and it's a rainbow. He said, I have placed my rainbow in the clouds. It is a sign of my covenant with you and with all the earth. And this covenant was that God would never cover the earth in floodwaters. You know, in our own lives, we can erect rainbows of remembrance in our minds by being spiritually disciplined. And you can do this through worship. And you can do this through reading the Bible. And you can do this through prayer. And you can do this by engaging in fellowship. We just happen to have a small group fair after the, church, after the service is over. That's another way that you can erect a rainbow of remembrance. These things will help you remember God's assurances and the personal promises that you feel like God has impressed upon your own life. What you'll find as you become spiritually disciplined is that it's just a natural outgrowth of being engaged with the Holy Spirit, right? Those sweeter moments with God where you experience love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, all those things that are associated with the Holy Spirit. And they certainly don't come from you. Those supplements that we talked about earlier, their behavior is linked with pursuing a life in God's Spirit. And His Spirit is just another promise that Jesus gave to us. Um, On a personal note, uh, my dad left our family when we were about nine years old. Um, uh, my brother Jesse and I, my twin, my twin brother Jesse and I. And uh, we, we went to church, and we came home, and he was gone. And my mom really took it hard, and I remember her cr- crying, weeping a lot growing up. And almost 30 years later, she recently shared with me a verse that kept her going during that time. And it's found in 1 Peter 3.12. The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the Lord turns his face against those who do evil. It was this promise from God that helped her put into perspective what my dad did and how she should respond Her faith strengthened in the midst of his betrayal. And it caused her to be less bitter and more spiritually disciplined than ever before. And I believe the fruit of her faithfulness is seen today in myself and my brother Jesse and my older brother Josh 
in that we're all strong believers in Jesus to this day because she always strove to do the right thing even though she was wronged in the worst way. Uh, this is a video from a couple of weeks after that first video um, with the Caterpillars. And worship team, you, you guys can come up. Um, uh, we had three Caterpillars to begin with. Two of them died. Um, but one actually survived. And it ended up becoming this beautiful black uh, swallowtail butterfly emerged from this uh, chrysalis. And uh, that was cool to see. It was cool for my son Cam to see, you know, Something fulfill its promises, right? A promise of being something greater. And actually, in this video, his wings aren't quite dry yet, so he's kind of just like fluttering around. Hopefully, he survived after that. You know, as believers in Jesus, we know it's possible to live out a measure of the kingdom in the, in the here and now. The, in the vineyard, we believe in the kingdom of God. That it's here in some respect, but it's also on the way. So there are times when we experience these butterfly moments of heaven breaking through. A taste of what's to come when we finally shed the skin of this world and move on to the next. As we continue to change in God's way, this is something I want you to have in your mind as we worship. You pay attention to the words in the songs and let them speak to your heart. Open your ears to listen to God's truth and ask yourself what it is you may need to change in order to grow better in him. Let's invite the Holy Spirit to come in as we worship and let's get a taste of future glory. Amen? Amen. Let me pray. Come Holy Spirit. Father, I pray that our love will overflow more and more and that we will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding of you. We want to fully understand what it means to follow you. We want to live pure and blameless lives until the day of Jesus' return. Father, may we always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in our lives by Jesus. For we know this will bring much glory and praise to you. Help us seek you and to grow to become what you want us to be. We ask all these things in Jesus' name.